From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Launchpad on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Launchpad here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm Carl Ulrich. I'm CIBC Endowed Professor at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, where I teach innovation, entrepreneurship, and design. Uh, we're going to jump right in. My first guest for today's show is Josh Tetrick, who's the co-founder and CEO of the Eat Just Company. Josh, thanks for joining us. Good to be with you. You know, you don't, you may not know this, but I actually go way back with your company. I had uh, six of your employees in an executive program uh, five years or so ago, and you were uh, kind enough to the next year host a group of us to come visit your facility in, in the mission. And I was super Very impressed good. at the time. I'm guessing there have been five lifetimes since then. And, uh, and I'm really looking forward to getting an update. But before we do that, first things first, let's point our listeners to your website. It's a clever top-level domain. So the domain, the website is just ju.st. So ju.st for just. So the top-level domain is .st, ju.st. Uh, Josh, give us the elevator pitch. Tell us what just is all about. So we're, we're all about um, making meat and eggs without the need to slaughter an animal, without the need to use a third of our world to plant soy corn to feed animals, without all the carbon emissions, without all the issues. Um, meat, animal protein, is both something that many people around the world desire and also something that is a really big problem. Um, and if your listeners are not familiar with the problem part of it, they're probably more familiar with how tasty it is. But in terms of the problem, um, about a third of the world today is dedicated just to planting soy and corn to feed the animals we eat, a third of the planet. Um, the animals we eat contribute more to climate change than all the transportation sources combined. The leading cause of zoonotic disease in the world is how we treat animals for food production. So a lot of issues. How do you figure your way around this? One way is ask everyone to go vegan right now. And um, get your can opener, open up those beans, have some kale and spinach and very tasty food that I eat all the time. Um, but, you know, for a lot of people that is um, is going to be hard. Uh, so what we're trying to do is to we make eggs from plants. So we found a bean called the mung bean that does that. And then we have another separate category called good meat that actually is um, real meat. It's called cultured or cultivated meat without the need to slaughter an animal. So we do all that under the umbrella of, uh, of Eat Just. Great. And are you still are you still based at that facility in the Mission in San Francisco? We're still in the Bay Area. We moved to the East Bay. Okay, yeah. So Josh, there's a lot to, to, to navigate there. And you focused on the environmental issues associated with meat. There are certainly also ethical issues for some people. Uh, associated with with meat and with with food based or plant uh, animal based uh, uh, proteins, your your first product or I should say your main product today is is eggs. So tell us a little bit more about that product. Yes, yes. So the the two products, one is egg and the other is uh, meat, which I'll share in a bit. With eggs, um, there are about two trillion eggs that are laid every year around the world. And most of those eggs, unbeknownst to most people, 
come from pretty um, uh, hard to see conditions. So just imagine animals cramped body to body in a small space in which they're eating a lot of soy and corn. So what we are doing is to see if there's a different way. Can we use a plant instead? Can we use a bean instead? And we found a bean called the mung bean that has a protein inside of it that when we remove it in, uh, in a way that uh, we do at a facility in Western Minnesota, we had oil, water, mix it together. It actually makes an egg. And we have distribution in now over 2 million households, major retailers like Walmart, Publix, and ShopRite, and Target carry it in the egg set. Um, and we think if we somehow could step back from everything, from all the demands of our day and just say, what would be the best way to make an egg? We think uh, a lot of people would conclude it's this. Um, and that, that's why we do it. All right. Okay, so two, two nerdy science questions here. So the mung bean, which if I remember from my cookie you know, earlier cooking days is the one that's used to make most of the larger bean sprouts. It's a pretty nice bean, actually. So a little green bean, mung bean. Um, you, you have to convert a mung bean to the, the protein that's in the egg product that you, that you sell. Uh, yeah. But that's essentially what the chicken's doing too. So is there an argument and actually what's the science on, what's the relative efficiency of you doing it in the factory versus the chicken doing it in their, in their body? Yeah, well, we're doing it. Um, I think, let me just start off. I think when people think of egg production, often their brain goes to um, a red barn and chickens outside enjoying themselves. And that is the case for much less than 1% of the eggs that are laid. In most cases, it's in a factory. And it's often automated. You'll have 100,000 plus birds in a space and you'll have an automated piece of equipment feeding those those birds, um, watering those birds. Um, so when you compare what we do um, to that process, it's about 80% um, more uh, carbon efficient uh, than, um, than the conventional approach to making, uh, to making eggs. Yeah, and, and you do it without the sentient creature. Uh, you do here, that's uh, right. not with, that's a, right. with a little creature. Um, okay, and then the second science question is, Protein in today's diet is a little bit of a misnomer. It, it, it's a it's a grab bag for I don't know twenty two a couple dozen amino acids. Um, how does the amino acid profile of the just egg product compare to that of the chicken? It's uh it's our amino acid profile is is very similar to the amino acid profile of a mung bean. So it would be it'd be similar to asking. You know, how does the amino acid profile of a, a mung bean, just eating a bunch of mung beans differ mm -hmm. from chicken meat? It's different for sure. So I think there's some amino acids where it's a bit higher in and some other areas where um, it's lower in. But, you know, we don't, we don't want anyone, just like no one should just be eating chicken eggs. People shouldn't just be, you know, eating um, an egg from a plant. Um, you should be getting all sorts of nutrients and a full array of amino acids um, from all sorts of places uh, in your diet. We think ideally from a health perspective, if, if one is 
focused on reducing cardiovascular risk factors. Um, if one is concerned about longevity, there's some pretty basic truths like eat less saturated fat or try to avoid eating too much cholesterol that are just true whether you're talking about an animal-based source or a plant-based source. Uh, there's some plant-based sources that are really high in saturated fat, um, and folks might want to be a little bit wary about that. Um, but, you know, I think whether from a health or environmental perspective, um, you know, that's, uh, or an animal welfare perspective, that's uh, that's what's driving all of this. Okay. So um, I read somewhere that a, a miraculous thing has happened, which is maybe not the way you expected it to happen, but that your product is now at cost parity with uh with with eggs that come from uh chickens and can you talk a little bit about that is there is what are the basic economics of of the egg product yeah so the the avian flu eggflation deal got us to a place where there was a point where we were at price parity and i think some cases had dropped below um costs um, different stories. So today we're um, more costly uh, to make than uh, a chicken egg. We've got to source the bean, we've got to mill it, we've got to separate the protein out. Um, those are the key uh, inputs to the cost structure, the purchase of the mung bean, the removal of the protein from the mung bean, and then the conversion of that into the finished product that ends up on the shelf. Um, we see a path here to get below the cost of a conventional egg sometime before the end of the decade. And that's work around um, more efficient sourcing of the bean, pulling more protein out to get our yields up, uh, how efficient we are at converting that into the finished product. So the, you know, the, the basic physics of it, we see it and there's a path to it. A lot of work to get there though. Yeah, it is honestly, just as an engineer, it's a little shocking to me that eggs eggs made by chickens can be so cost efficient given what has to happen to, to make that yeah. egg. But I guess that's partly the fact that 2 trillion of them are made. And so it's a little bit of a scale story. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, yeah. very much so. Yeah, quick thing to catch up on. Um, you use the word egg. Egg is all over your promotional materials. Um, uh, are there rules about what you can call egg and how do you navigate those? Yes, so there's not a, there, there are two things that we need to think about. The first one is, are consumers confused about it? And um, for us, we really want to emphasize that it's made from a plant, not because of a regulation, simply because that's how we differentiate. We want people to know it's made from a bean and here are the advantages to having an egg from a plant as opposed to a, uh, an egg from uh, an egg from a chicken. So whether on our packaging our website we try to make it really clear because that's an advantage and then the second is more of a regulatory thing so there's actually not a standard of identity for a chicken egg so there's standards of identity for a lot of things like mayonnaise as an example um, but there's not for a chicken egg so it's less a regulatory thing right now and more a we want consumers to be aware of what they're eating and we want to use that to you know to our advantage if you're just joining us you're listening to launchpad on business radio series xm 132 today i'm joined by josh tetrick who's the co-founder and ceo of the eat just company 
Um, Josh, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about who who cares. Where's the demand uh, pulled from for 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 your product, and to what extent do you have to stimulate that demand, or is there organic demand out there? Well, there's definitely some organic demand, but there's a lot of stimulating it. So we created this category called plant-based eggs. So before us, there was just no category. Think before there was cereal. Um, a category called cereal didn't exist. Um, so we have the advantage of we own about 99% of the category today. And um, that is good from a competitive perspective. On the other hand, it's on us to educate people, right? We don't have the benefit of other cereals like other others to, you launch a new cereal SKU today, you don't need to explain to people what cereal is. So we got to educate people, what is an egg from a plant? How does it work? Why does it matter? Um, how does it taste? Um, so all that is is really fallen on to us and we've invested a lot in brand awareness and uh, through sampling, through working with influencers uh, across different fields. Um, and um, some of it is easy. So if you're vegan and you've been using tofu to make your eggs, you're probably going to be a customer. Um, but most of the volume, most of our customers are actually not vegan or vegetarian. They're folks who are trying to eat just a little bit better for breakfast. Maybe they don't you know, feel like having yet another bowl of oatmeal, although that's what I had for breakfast this morning. They, um, you know, they... They want to eat a little bit healthier. They have um, accepted the idea that uh, eating more plant-based is a path towards that. Um, and they uh, and they go for it. But yeah, we're yeah. in about 2.1 million households as it stands right now. Yeah, I I get that. I, I, I'm a customer. I enjoy the product. So I, I get all that. I, I think it, it strikes me in some ways as a hard way to make a living to sell uh, this product, uh, you know, a, a, a little jar at a time. And I wonder what is the commercial, what are the commercial applications look like? And to what extent do producers say of cookies or ice cream, or I don't know what else uh, eggs go in, um, have to disclose their, their use or, or do they choose to disclose the yeah. use of culture? Yeah. So of the, to, to give you a sense of the market of the, two trillion eggs that are consumed every year market size 250 billion or so about a third of those eggs are used in large-scale industrial applications so think of like a twinkies purchasing eggs or um, a unilever purchasing eggs for their mayonnaise um we um today um have a plant-based egg that is functional in cookies and waffles and pancakes. Um, it actually just, it now can make a good mayo at, at home. We were doing some tests on it uh, the other day. Um, we haven't really gotten into the broad industrial ingredient space yet. I think that's to come uh, where we work with a company to sell our just egg formula, and then they would use it for ice cream or, uh, mayo and dressings, et cetera. Uh, but that's, uh, that's to come. That's a, that's yeah. a part of the, the long-term path. Well, that, that leads me into a question. I don't know what you can say about it, but um, I, I would think that 
the kinds of processes that are used to make this egg product at scale are not what you want to put in a factory in the East Bay. And uh, and and the the question is how do you how do you produce the stuff and to what extent are you integrated into the mainstream uh, food ingredient supply chain? Yes, yeah, so we we source the mung bean uh, from a number of different countries, primarily Thailand. Then we send that mung bean to Western Minnesota, and we have a protein production facility there. Um, and then that facility removes the protein from the mung bean and then sends that protein to manufacturing partners in the U.S. and in Canada and in Korea and elsewhere. Then those facilities convert it into the finished product. So we are, um, think everything from the bean to the protein is very much proprietary, highly technical, a lot of um, more novel engineering. And everything from the protein to the finished product is very much embedded in how people think of conventional manufacturing and the conventional food supply chain. All right, so let's go back to the to the other product line. We spent a lot of time talking about about egg, and I, I'm guessing just based on your promotional materials that you're farther along on that one. But can you talk about the the meat uh, products? And, I, and embedded, I'm, I'm gonna ask a two-part question. As a professor of entrepreneurship, the first thing that strikes me about that is, man, that's a very different kind of business and an entirely different uh, uh, technology as well. And so how have you thought of our relative focus and, and going into yeah. a cultured meat product? Yeah, so when we thought about doing meat, we're, we're less thinking about, it is similar for egg, it's less, okay, we have an idea of a technology, how do you make, a product from that we really come from like what would be the most optimal end product and what's the best technology to get us there and when we were thinking about meat we thought you know what if there was given how much people desire and love the taste the idea of of animal protein what if we could figure out a way to culture or cultivate it as opposed to creating a, a plant-based product because of the the identity, the attachment that people have to this idea of meat. And a handful of years ago, seven years ago, I guess now, we started an internal project that eventually led to us becoming the first company in the world to ever sell cultivated meat. Um, and all cultivated meat is, is real animal protein. So it's not made from plants, it's made from animals. Real animal protein without the need to slaughter the animal. So in today's paradigm, you got to slaughter an animal to eat the meat. In tomorrow's paradigm, and hopefully it's a sooner tomorrow, you don't need to slaughter the animal uh, to eat the meat. And we sell it in Singapore today out of a butcher shop called Hoover's um, and, and uh, are pushing um, to uh, to get that here in the, in the U.S. market. It's probably about a 50% crossover or so in skills and capabilities. Um so uh, it's definitely been a benefit for us that we've done it, but um, it hasn't made it easy. Yeah, man. Okay, so I, I to show you, show you how much of a fanboy I am, I was in Singapore two weeks ago and I went to try to try that product. Uh, they're they're way backlogged. You can't get a reservation uh, there. I should have I should have reached out, but anyway, the demand appears to be perhaps because of limited supply, uh, dramatically higher than demand. Right, or dramatically higher than supply right now. Yeah, we have, we have, yeah we have very limited supply today. Yeah, the, the gating item on that is 
So the this meat is produced in these stainless steel vessels called yeah. bioreactors, and our bioreactor is small today. Um, and ultimately, you got to get to much larger vessels uh, in order to produce sufficient volume. So you don't need to be on a, a backed up <laughs> reservation list to, to be able to, to buy it. Um, and that's really the biggest challenge for the cultivated meat industry is in what time frame can we and other companies scale up so that you can produce tens of hundreds of millions of pounds so that your costs end up making sense to build a real healthy business. Yeah. If the answer is a hundred years, right? There are different sets of decisions and you're making if the answer is in, in 10 years and we're, we're pushing towards the, more towards the 10 years, but it's a big engineering challenge. Yeah. It's a big capital allocation challenge. Um, and uh, yeah, that cultivated meat is not for the faint of heart. Yeah. What's the, what's that product like? What's the preferred form factor, the one that seems to work the best and what's the experience like? Yeah. We, yeah. We, we initially sold um, chicken nuggets and uh, today at Hoover's we have a chicken satay. So it's um, like shredded chicken. Um, um, and then eventually we'll do all sorts of chicken and, and beef formats, but really the, in the vessel, this raw animal protein is being manufactured in, in a way that's maximizing sterility. So think um, salmonella, E. coli, fecal contamination, um, et cetera. Um, and then after about 14 days, we're removing this raw meat and then we're converting it into what the consumer tries, what the consumer purchases. Um, yeah, so we're, we're proud to be the first in the world to sell it in Singapore. Um, I wish it was a lot more than we're selling today, yeah. but uh, yeah, sure. step by step. Yeah. Well, speaking of a lot more, um, I noticed that you were able to raise some capital at the end of uh, 2022 and that congratulations because it's tough out there. Um, and from, from C2 Capital, which is, as I understand it, an Alibaba-backed company, what, what's your feeling about China and the prospects for China? Yeah, well, China consumes more um, animal protein than any company in the world by a pretty large margin. So I think if we and others really want to solve the meat problem, you've got to solve for China. Um, COVID has made it difficult to really make inroads into China because of the difficulty of traveling and, and really getting things done. Um, seems to be uh, opening up a bit now, which is good. Um, but you know, it's, it, it will require an enormous amount of focus, um, in order to get that, get that right. We can't sort of be half in, um, and think that we're going to get it right. What China has done, which is a good sign for the industry is they've included, um, cultivated meat into their five-year agricultural plan. Mm -hmm. Um, and when you get included in these five-year plans, it tends to array the forces of the government and the private sector behind getting them done, because um, there are all sorts of metrics, you know, that people are held accountable to, to make sure they get it done towards that. So that was a good sign. And one of the biggest drivers of, of cultivating meat, as opposed to making conventional meat, both in China, the Middle East, and I, I think becoming more in the U.S. is food security. 
how do nations build a food system, a system of making animal protein that is not so reliant on what's happening out there? And when you need to, when you have feed from out there, when you need all of this land and all these resources, you know, it leads to a less resilient food system. So it's a yeah. big reason why a country like Singapore, which yeah. imports about 90% of its meat, of its meat has decided to really lead on this. Yeah. Um, Josh, you've been at this a while, and I might have guessed that you came from a food technology or chemical engineering background or something, but it looks like that's not the case. Uh, reflect a little bit about your own journey. When you started this in 2011, what were you thinking? And, and mm. as you look back on it, what are your reflections? Yeah, yeah well, it is, uh, it is, I think, a whole lot, it's simultaneously a whole lot harder than I ever would have guessed to uh to make all this stuff happen um and also i think if someone had told me that um you know an egg made from a plant a category that we created was in a walmart right next to the <laughs> middle school that i went to in birmingham alabama and it's right in the egg set i would have been blown away by it and if someone had told me uh um you know, the first real meat without the need to slaughter an animal is being sold in Singapore from, from this company. I would have been blown away by it and I think surprised at it. Yeah, so it's both much more challenging than I think I would have ever guessed. Uh, more challenging across engineering, product development, communications, brand awareness, um, economics. Um, it's hard to think of a part that isn't more challenging than I initially thought. Um, but it's also, you know, more meaningful than, yeah. I, than I thought. So, so. Well, on that note, we're out of time, but thanks so much for making the time. It's an amazing journey and uh, we wish you the best. You bet. We Thank need you. to take a short back. Uh, let me say that again. We need to take a short break. When we're back, I'll talk with the founder of plant-based chicken nugget maker, Rebellious Foods. I'm Carl Ulrich, and this is Launchpad Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. Do you have concerns about your heart health? Yeah. We've got a doc for that. Huh. Have questions about men's health, women's health, and everyday health? Sure. We've got a doc for that. Really? Interested in improving your exercise and eating routine? Yeah. We've got a doc for that. Hmm. A nurse practitioner and a registered dietitian, too. Wow. Sirius XM's Doctor Radio. Your access to top doctors and health professionals every day. No copay, no appointment necessary. Huh. Sirius XM 110. Who knew?